Hello, Michael. Andre, are we doing some sort of uh, commercial here? Yes, we are. Have you been to blindersgame.com? <laughs> I absolutely love your um, your radio voice. I have, <laughs> I have not, but you have told me a lot about this. So blindersgame.com is a card game that's been uh, created by the same company that made those really entertaining Psalm movies. I think you can see them on uh, Netflix and a couple of other places online. But what they've done is they've created a card game where the point of the game is to blind taste through some wines and build a hand to kind of help guide you to, you know, getting some better descriptors of how to blindly taste wine. So you won't sound like an idiot like when you and I do Stump the Chump. Now, if I'm not mistaken, you and I are going to try and play this game uh, sometime <laughs> before the pandemic is over. We were planning on getting together to play the game, but just with Toronto rolling back to Phase 2, just not a good idea. But if you go to the website, blindersgame.com, and you use the promo code 2GTW, that's the number 2 GTW, you'll get 20% off any of those games, any of those card games, and it's um, something that'll make a great Christmas gift. All right. Uh, I'll, I'll check it out, and, and I understand that um, you're going to try it with your friends, and I'm going to try it with mine, and we'll see what happens. 2GTW. You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Prue. Michael. Andre, you and I were both, well, you were more hesitant to do this podcast than I was. Do you know what? Before we go on, I just want to tell you the day, on the day that we are recording this, I just got, and it kind of leads back into where we're going here. Um, I got a Facebook memory that said three years ago, we did our Henry of Pelham Town Hall. Yes. And you can go back and listen to that. It's two guys talking live where we were able to sit down with all three Spec brothers. Yeah, in a room with with an audience and and uh, some questions were asked, and it was pretty pretty exciting. I thought. I think it's also a little apropos because the day we're recording this is the day before the last presidential election, and uh, I think this is one where you and I have agreed to some rules. I think we're certainly more civil than um, Trump and and Biden are going to be tomorrow. Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the thing I, I guess, found, the I thing guess I... where this this all starts is is um, with a, a a post in the Ontario Wine Lovers Facebook page from uh, Lydia Biro, who was asking. She posted an article, and she asked, "Why don't more Canadians drink Canadian wine?" Yes. And then Christina Roman, friend of the podcast, um. She wrote, and if you would like to read it, because a, a full full disclosure here, this is an argument that Andre and I actually had online, um, first on the Facebook page, and then we moved it to a private messenger uh, thing, and it just went on and on and on. I and mean, finally, we said, this is podcast material. Why are we not doing that? So we are going to read from this script which is the first time we've ever ever done anything like this well and the thing is the thing i found hilarious was you said we'd only do this if i don't speak over you if anyone goes back to listen to our past episodes i challenge anyone to find an episode where i'm stepping over michael and not the other way around 
So what we're going to try and do is go with this script so we're not yelling at each other and trying to remain calm. Well, because this was like this was like waving a red flag in front of a bull for you. Like, frankly, I I am approaching this topic from a little bit more like a clinical analytical point as someone who both makes cells and writes about wines. Well, let's let's start here. And so you can read Chris's part here, which this is what gets the ball rolling. Right. Oh, here. hang on. Hang on. I got to I got to get myself into the Christina mindset, but I don't yeah. think I can talk as fast as she does. All right, uh, try it anyway. Uh, this is great, but misses the big kicker. We have too much choice as a result of quality confusing consumers. It's harder to find Ontario wine. Right, slow mention. down. Slow down. Uh, okay. Okay. This is great, but misses the big kicker. We have too much choice, and as a result, quality is confusing for consumers. It is hard to define Ontario wine without mentioning at least five grapes. Describe Burgundy. Easy. Chardonnay, Pinot Noir. Do they make other things? Sure, Aligote, PTGs, Cremant, but their bread and butter, Chardon Pinot. No offense to wineries, and I come from this world, and that's Christina, but we do everything but nothing that can be recognized and differentiated on the world stage. Correct. So then I come in with, that's because we have a stupid marketing arm that can't make up their mind about what to do. One day it's Chardonnay, and another it's Riesling, then suddenly Pinot Noir catches their eye. They are like cats watching a laser pointer. If we need to catch the world's attention with something that no one has clearly defined, it should be Cabernet Franc. Chris, Chris replied with, I did not forget Gamay or all the other flashes of light that pass in front of the eyes of the marketing arm. What I am saying is that if we focus on something that the rest of the world has not latched onto, it would be, should be, and could be Cabernet Franc. Wait, isn't that your, am I reading your words now? Nope, that is actually Chris. Oh. There you go. Well, See? Then, if I'm not mistaken, this is where you piped in. Uh, nope, we have a comment from Penelope Irving that I think you should read. Well, actually, I wrote this to Penelope because Penelope Irving actually came on and she said, well, what about Baco? And I wrote, oh, Penny, you, Henry of Pelham folks, are so Baco-focused, and while the house that Speck built are masters of that, that grape, the rest of the province is miles behind. It will not build Ontario's image on the world stage to have one producer making fabulous versions and 95% making undrinkable dreck. At which point, you come in. This is, and this is my main point here, because, you know, I want to preface this by saying that uh, I, I posted this comment as devil's advocate. I like Cabernet Franc. I am not crapping on Cabernet Franc, and I really think that Cabernet Franc has a very important part in the Ontario industry. But how many consistent high-end producers of Cabernet Franc do we have leading the charge? More than Baco, I'm talking about a calling card wine that no one else does consistently well. I know you have a hard-on for Chard, but I can name a dozen countries that do Chardonnay really, really well. We need a signature that is not ice wine. As for your list of Cabernet Franc producers, Trias, Vineland, Pondview, Peller, Fielding, Melville, Pilateri, Featherstone, and that's quickly off the top of my head. Oh, I love that you slipped Featherstone in. That wasn't in your original post. It wasn't because I remember forgetting it. <laughs> I mean, you're right. Like, there is a, a huge list of very good Cabernet Franc producers. Very good. I'm grabbing them and bringing them to dinner producers. But how many of these producers of Cabernet Franc have their wines listed at the fine dining restaurants in Toronto? Whether it's a place like Canoe or uh, George or any of the other like really fine dining places that are sort of trendsetters in the wine world. And once again, I'm playing devil's advocate here. My point is this, Andre. Cabernet Franc is the grape we should be push pushing. According to Chris Roman's point... 
Ontario is all over the map with what it is making and producing, thus causing confusion with consumers and that certain regions of the world are known for specific varieties. If Ontario wants to stand out, we can't be pushing what everyone else or other countries are doing well. Take the New Zealand uh, example. They came out with Sauvignon Blanc as their calling card. Who else was using that grape? Australia busted the door open with Shiraz, Syrah. At that time, who else was making a name for themselves with that grape? I'm not saying Ontario doesn't make good Chardonnay or Pinot Noir, but there are so many other countries making those that it's hard to stand out. Who is making their stand with Cabernet Franc? If Ontario is not careful, someone will take that grape from us and make it their own. And then what? We're bridesmaids again. You know, in that conversation, I not once mentioned Chardonnay or Pinot Noir. I just said no high-end producers are making consistent high-end Cabernet Franc. You filled Correct. in the blanks there. Because I kind of know where you were going. But then somebody else piped in, and I really just wanted to, to before we get on to when we took everything offline finally, um, there was some lady who, who came on and said, I buy and drink only Ontario uh, Canadian wine. And I do have to say really quickly – that's not right either. Like to know how you're doing on the world stage, you have to drink wine from other places in the world. And Andre, I think you're going to agree with me on that. Completely. I mean, it's one of my favorite things about about doing the world tour of wine. I'm, I'm I've still got my head in, in Burgundy, but if anything, Burgundy has made me um, appreciate what we have in Ontario for Pinot Noir more than anything. I, I think it's funny because you like to throw down how much I love Chardonnay. When I was talking about super high end here, I I I do agree with you that Chardonnay is not going to be our calling card. So then what I did was I went offline because yes. I was getting frustrated with Andre playing this <laughs> devil's advocate. And I said, what I want to say at the end of that was get your Chardonnay loving head out of your ass and think critically and make an ADX franc. Read and it. I'll leave the other part no, out read the other part. I'd owe uh, Brian Schmidt some money. Read the other part. You f nut. <sighs> and to which I replied, the market decides what the identity is. No, it does not. Would you like to expand on that? I'm gonna. I'm, I will expand on it later because at that point I just said no, it does not. And then you wrote, I said, uh, yes, it does. <laughs> producers decide marketing. Um, part. Per, I said producers decide. Marketing decide. You think the market said Sauvignon Blanc for New Zealand? You think a marketing agency like who decides what the producers grow? Fine, I'll stick to the script. I'll stick. I'll stick to the script. <laughs> no, they saw they saw an inroad as a country. Okay, who's they? In this convert, in this in this part, I mean that's something I didn't get to clarify on because uh, I was in the middle of doing something else. So I want I'm get, I'm going off script for that. Who is they? Producers decide and marketing decides. They look at it and they say, "Hey, guess what? Nobody is really doing Sauvignon Blanc. We make good Sauvignon Blanc. Let's bring it to the world." Okay, but which which came first, the fact that they make good Sauvignon Blanc, or did a marketing person wake up and be like, "We're going to grow Sauvignon Blanc here," or was it the fact that the market had already responded to, "Hey." You know, we've planted a few grapes here in New Zealand in the 70s, and the Sauvignon Blanc tastes pretty good, and the market seems to like it. And the market seems to be um, devoid of Sauvignon Blanc, so it's a calling card. Okay, but I mean, it's it's the climate and the market that, that decides what, what identifies a region. It's not like a marketing arm can come in and decide decide what's going to sell. The wine has to taste good. And Cabernet Franc does very well, surprisingly, in our climate. Um, yes, it does. But there are no ultra premium Cabernet Franc producers busting down doors. This is not an opinion. It's a fact. And I asked you, who would you say are the elite producers of wine in this province? So what I did was 
I go back to that list of, and I took wine to mean Cabernet Franc as Trias, Vineland, Pondview, Peller, uh, Featherstone, Fielding, Melville, Pillitary. I say to you this, if the wine council had deemed because they were smart, that Ontario should focus its attention on Cabernet Franc, then we would be much further ahead. I point again to New Zealand. But they said Riesling, and then what, what was, it, it bottomed out just like, uh, and oh, sorry, messed up here. But they said Riesling. Okay. And when that, and when that bottomed out, people took Thomas Batchelor, people like Thomas Batchelor, Batchelor took over. I, I just wrote TB, so. Yeah, yeah, that's we, fine. We, we have a short form because the wine council is a bunch of boobs with no vision. Industries need leaders and in a vacuum, someone else takes over. Thomas Batchelor filled that vacuum that the wine council left because of indecision and lack of leadership. All right. But here's my, once again, slightly devil's advocate argument. If the wine council had waved their magic wand for Franck, I highly dealt people like Harold Teal or Grant Westcott would have planted it. They're still like the, the, the ultra premium producers who are on some very high end wine list in the city. The wines that the Psalms in the city of Toronto are going gaga over are growing Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. Look, I, I admit that there would have been those who would not have planted Cabernet Franc, but many would have because they were told this is going to be our calling card to the world. And where do people want to sell their wine on a world market? And maybe there would have been outliers who would not have been the norm doing Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. You know, I, I think the other thing about Pinot Noir and Chardonnay in the climate, if we're talking specifically, I, I can now I can now break down the, the, the counter argument I made with you a little bit more elegantly. Pinot Noir and Chardonnay have a consistent flavor profile in Niagara, whether it's a warm or cool vintage in the hands of our, our very good winemakers. The problem with Cabernet Franc is it is very inconsistent and very variable based on uh, vintage conditions. But then we would have learned to deal with it because it was our calling card. But how do you set the expectation for a non-wine savvy consumer, right? Because even with the examples you cited earlier, things like, you know, and let's talk about other regions that have really strong um, identities. Chile with Cabernet Sauvignon. You can get a decent bottle of Chilean Cabernet Sauvignon for $10. You work away up to, you know, the high-end uh Cabernet Sauvignon from Chile, you get a consistent product from bottom to top. Like you said, New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc is a great example of that. I mean, how do you get an average consumer trained that one year you're going to get red pepper jelly and another year you're going to get cherry silk? I ask you, how did Tuscany do it? They make Sangiovese. They make Chianti Classico. They make Chianti. And they have a cool climate. They have variable, um, uh, variable vintages. Yet they have made a name for themselves with Sangiovese because the consumer understands that it's not consistently year after year. And that's the beauty of Sangiovese and Chianti Classico. And that's what we had to teach the consumer. We had to teach them that Ontario is cool climate, but we went the lazy route. And what's the lazy route? The lazy route is, well, we don't want to deal with having to teach them anything. We want to just, you know, let's give them Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. And, you know, it's easy. We can pretty much do it consistently every year. It's like Gamay. We can consistently make good Gamay every year. Granted, there's a vintage variation in those grapes as well. Well, the other problem with Gamay it's is... It's not it's, as stark as Cabernet Franc. I, I, I would I would argue Gamay, uh, we have a better, a better um, opportunity with Gamay than we do with Cabernet Franc. I think it's... Uh, 
it's more friendly for the for the average consumer. And I'm, I'm, I hate using the word average consumer on this podcast because if there's anything you and I have learned from the many years of us doing this is there really is no average consumer. But I'm talking about, you know, my mom and my dad and, and your mom, people who like wine, know a little bit about wine, but, um, you know, don't want to spend too much time thinking about it. I think Gamay is just a little bit more, a little bit easier to drink. You know, it doesn't have the savory notes that Cabernet Franc has in a cool vintage that can be really off-putting to, to some people. Um, and frankly, you know, I tasted some Gamay in Oregon. They haven't figured it out yet. Uh, I've tasted some Gamay from BC, and frankly, they haven't figured it out yet. And it seems like every new producer who gets some Gamay either in a tank or barrel in Ontario has a pretty good footing on, on where, we, where, we, where we're going. I, I think Gamay is... And could have been, uh, again, a calling card of Ontario. But at the moment, uh, we switched from Riesling to suddenly Chardonnay. And that's mostly uh, to uh, Thomas Batchelder's credit. Yes. Because he recognized that, and I get it, and Pinot Noir, obviously. But it's because there was a vacuum left by a marketing arm and who were trying to, who did not let producers know that this could be our calling card to the world. Okay, but that's how, my how... argument is that while you argue from, from a knowledge base that is current, I am at a disadvantage because I am arguing what we could have done in the past to make Ontario better. We sat on ice wine like it was like God's gift to the wine world. Yes. Yet we never showed anybody anything else we did until it was too late and i don't think anyone would dispute that uh leading the charge with ice wine was not the the correct course of action i mean we have a, a small handful of markets in asia where political uh political climates make it difficult for it to even be a consistent avenue um you know to make money as a as a winery right and, and meanwhile even when i started writing about wine uh, 10 years ago, you know, it was sort of like you'd walk into the door and and most places are making an ice wine or a, a sweet wine, like even places like Cave Spring, the house that Riesling built that has, uh, do they do ice proper ice wine or just their late harvest? They make ice wine, late harvest, summer harvest, summer late harvest, I think it's called. <laughs> uh, but I mean, it's sort of like they, they, they have that in their, in their hat because, you know, they have to as a Canadian winery, but it's just like, no, 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 no. Come, come taste the other stuff. The other stuff's really good, please. Correct. And our marketing department just sat on its laurels with ice wine and that has drove driven me crazy over the years. And the other part is somebody like Brian Schmidt at Vineland doesn't grow cab sove. The same thing at Cave Spring. They don't grow cab sove anymore. Vine hospitals come to mind. Let's stop that. What we should have been doing was looking at a grape variety that did well in our climate and that nobody else was doing. And that was Cabernet Franc. Granted, I understand you don't like some of those crazy savory notes, but that's part of the. Oh, I'm not. The, I'm not the, talking about the, me though. I'm me. not talking about. For the record, I'm not talking about me. Like, like I said, all of my argument is coming from the the devil's advocate point of view and trying to think about, you know, what my non wine savvy friends would think and what they would say, right? And, and then the other thing too is is um, like I question how much influence. Like I know you're you're putting a lot of this on on the wine council and and putting a lot on their shoulders, but how much influence do these marketing bodies actually have over the market? Because tons. 
Tons. Well, I, I was they're the ones. In, who, I was just they're the ch- ones who go out into the. Remember, we were freaking out years ago because they were off in Germany at at uh, 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 whatever the wine show is in Germany. Sorry, it's 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 Pro-wine. gone from my mind. But they were off in various wine shows showing Chardonnay and Pinot. Why? Why are they doing that? Why weren't they doing that before with with Cabernet Franc? That's what we should have been doing. And granted, Andre, I get it. I get the fact that today in high-end restaurants, it's our Chardonnays and our Pinot Noirs. The Henry Pelham people bring Baco to the world. They're at least shining a spotlight on Ontario and on Canada. But what I don't get is why years ago we did not focus our attention to something that would have given us recognition that nobody else was doing. And that was Cabernet Franc. Who else beside the Loire Valley is making quality Cabernet Franc? I, I agree with you, but un- unfortunately, the toothpaste is out of the tube and you can't put it back in there. No, you can't. And um, I'm just saying. That's and, and, my and, disadvantage in this argument is that I'm arguing from a past point of view where you are arguing with the knowledge that you have right now that Ontario's calling card is Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. Uh, actually, I I never once said that 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 is Ontario's calling card. I just I pointed out that that's what is already on high end wine lists, right? Like that is that is what is leading the charge right now, at least for the market in places like Toronto and Montreal. And I think the people who are exporting wines to London do really well with their uh, Chardonnay and Pinot Noir that are sold. I know that the the foreign press who come to Canada to taste the wines have gravitated towards Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. Correct. And I, I, and I get that, but can you imagine if they were going, we got to get there to try their Cabernet Franc? Well, then, imagine that, that they were coming for something so unique, not something that can be found in California, in well, Chile, who's, who's in Argentina, who's in, gonna, who's going to up the game? Burgundy. Who's going to up the game? Like that that's the question I want to know. Like like who... I, be- I believe Brian Schmidt's been upping the game. He's got a clonal selection. Yes, he does. This is something that we should have should have been doing from not day 1 necessarily, but when you start looking at the global market, you start going, okay, yeah, we got a slight we got our foot in the door now with ice wine. What are we going to hit him with next? You know, Riesling was really not the thing to hit him with. And the reason is you've just gone from sweet to perceived sweet. Most people perceive Riesling as sweet. So now Ontario is sweet world. And I, I actually really res- respect the, like your view on that and agree wholeheartedly. And I don't know. It's just something about Riesling. Like I, I love Riesling, but it's still the same thing where, you know, I have that perceived bias when I see a bottle of Riesling on the shelf. And I know it's like, uh, it's a it's a reflect like a it's a reflex when I see the bottle and I know that especially as a writer and as someone who tries to be objective when approaching a bottle of wine that you know not every bottle of Riesling is the same and it's it it is very very you know it's a winemaker's grape there's so many different things you can do with it clonal varieties and we have a great variety in the province but it just you know it just didn't stick like you said. Well, that's that. See, there's 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 my problem. There's well, okay, my problem. okay. So we we, I, I understand. Sweet. I understand your disappointment, and um, I, I empathize. I empathize with it. Like I look back and I agree with you that the, it was a missed opportunity to land on Cabernet Franc, and really really push that. And I know it can be very like it's very hard for a region once the identity is established 
to redefine itself because like I said earlier with Chile and Cabernet Sauvignon like they're trying really hard to push Vino out onto the market now and I think that's going to be like decades before that even really becomes more than just a niche interest I, I think you have you have uh, you have two opportunities your first opportunity is your foot in the door okay. let's take the New Zealand example again Sauvignon Blanc and then where did they hit them, hit us with Pinot Noir okay there's a lot of places making good Pinot Noir, but they still have that calling card of Sauvignon Blanc. We had the, uh, our second opportunity was to to hit them with Riesling, which I thought totally wrong thing to do. Totally okay, but wrong. how do you explain a place like Oregon? Like Oregon's made Pinot Noir their calling card, and there's ton of Pinot, tons of Pinot Noir all over the world, right from the adjacent state California to Burgundy. Because their their Pinot Noir is completely a different. It it kind of hits that mark between. California and Burgundy. And it really is a unique thing that, that they do. Whereas in Ontario, we are constantly comparing ourselves, especially Prince Edward County, to Burgundy. And that's going to be a problem because we're constantly comparing ourselves to that. California made a name for Pinot Noir because it was completely different than the Pinot Noir everybody was used to. Obviously, Burgundy is Burgundy and that's Pinot Noir there. But Oregon, they just went Boom! We are com- we are we sit right there in the middle between the juicy jammy and the earthy, and that's where they are. And they found that niche. I don't really think there's another niche in there to to be had. And that's another problem. The, you can't keep crowding the market. The market's a pretty Pinot big Noir place. And Chardonnay. The market's a pretty big place. I, I I that I don't don't agree with. But I mean the here's here's the question I have because you're still just so focused on looking looking back. Like so, what's the solution? What's what are we looking at going forward? Well, there is – look, my thought is, the, the again, the toothpaste is out of the tube. The train has left the station. We got to ride the, the horse we're on now, right? At least – at least not everybody uh, – and I and I do wine tours around Niagara um, with people. You know, people recognize we make ice wine, but they're not focused completely on ice wine anymore. And that, that I think, is a, a good thing. We are not now – um, just known for ice wine people, you know, especially Americans, which aren't coming this year, um, love ice wine, um, because they have a sweet palate, but look, uh, we're, we're, we're too late. We, we don't have another opportunity. We're in that vino stage of, of Chile, right? They came out the door with, with, uh, uh, Cabernet, and then they came out with Carmenere, which was a bust. Uh, so now they've got to rethink, and let's go with this vino. And now, as you said, it's going to take years. If we are going to corner sorry, the market sorry, in Cabernet sorry. Franc... Sorry, you, you, you just... The fact that you brought up Carmenere. Oh, you mean the other Bordeaux variety that tastes an awful lot like Cabernet Franc. I wonder why the market didn't lap that up. Look, Carmenere is a little bit different, as well as a lot different uh, than Cabernet Franc. It's also a late ripener. It is one of the last grapes to come off in Bordeaux. Yeah. So that's why that didn't work. What I'm saying is that they they tried to hit with Carmenere because it was unique to them. It totally. didn't work. It didn't work. So now Cabernet Franc works in Ontario. We know it works in Ontario. We are getting better and better and better every single year. That green pepper seems to be gone because we know how to hang it. We know how to deal with it. Yes. That's what we should have been doing. But again, just like you mentioned in Chile, that vino part, it's going to take them forever to get that name out there. And we are going to have a problem getting Cabernet Franc in front of people. Can, can I That's say what I thought. think? Can I say what I think we should be doing? Sure. 
Are, are you going to let me finish or are you just going to jump all over me because you're not going to like what I'm going to say? No, no, I'll listen to you now. Okay. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't think like it. I don't think there's any issue with us uh, streamlining down to the mighty handful and, and throwing all five to, at people. Chardonnay, Riesling, Gamay, Cabernet Franc, and Pinot Noir. And just saying, come to the buffet. Like, we've got these five grapes that all produce these really great, you know, well-balanced, beautiful acidity, cool climate wines, and you'll find something you love in Ontario. Drink from our, drink from our hands. I don't disagree with that. And I know you're shocked by that. Oh, wow. But okay. You do need a calling card. No, I, I, I we, think, but I don't. We, lo- we lost our chance at a calling card. Uh, so now I think Gamay would be a good one. But I thought we thought we were going to throw this over to social media now. Let me, let me just throw like one last point down, down though. It's like we could be the boy band wine region, you know? The, the Backstreet Boys, the new kids on the block, where it's, it's the sum of its parts. It's, it's all five. Now you just lost me on the boy, the the Backstreet Boys. No, but I'm just saying, like you know, you you fell in love with the group, and everyone had a favorite member of the group, and I'm sure all the the women who are listening to this and the the men who liked the Backstreet Boys had their favorite singer in the band. But you still appreciate the the sum of its parts. I I don't think there's anything wrong with that approach to marketing, and that in, that in itself would be a calling card. Come to Ontario. We do a lot of shit well. I don't I don't really think that's uh, I don't think that's the approach to the world. But that's that's two different points of view. Yep. And obviously now we will ask anybody who's listening to this and is on either our Instagram page, is on our Facebook page, or is on our Twitter account to have your voice. What do you think? Should Ontario have a calling card? Have we lost our chance? Is there still a chance? Let us know what you think. Well, there we go. And hopefully people can get as angry as you and I did on that. Oh, I wasn't angry. I was I was more amused at, at how like how much of a blockhead you were being in the conversation. Like I was personally attacking Cabernet Franc. And not once did I say Chardonnay or Pinot Noir in my argument. You filled in the blanks. Well, that's that's because you are always talking Chardonnay and Pinot Noir because you you you, you walk around with a, a Chardonnay bottle in your pants. Yeah, but I mean, just because I love that particular wine and we do a lot of it well doesn't mean I, I recognize that it may not be the best calling card on the on the global stage. Because as you said, everyone and their mother can grow Chardonnay. Wrap it up, Andre. Wrap it up. Um, check out Patreon. Patreon.com slash two guys talking wine. We appreciate the support. And uh, as always, you can uh, check out uh, blindersgame.com 2GTW to get the blind tasting card game so you won't sound as stupid as I do when we uh, taste blind on the podcast which hopefully we'll be able to do again one day when the pandemic is over I would really like that I know Thomas wanted to do one with us so maybe no it's going to be after the after la liberation as he said I'm Michael Pincus of michaelpincuswinereview.com on social media it's the great guy and or Michael Pincus find me there Michael take it away good night Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes.